Well, as Doug mentioned earlier, today is Global Mission Sunday. Actually, this has been all, all month we're celebrating really Global Mission Month. And it's been a, a, just an awesome thing to highlight just the different ways that God is, has called us to engage with the mission that he's doing all over the world. We, we've highlighted our mission partnerships through our prayer, guide, prayer guidebook. We've, we've highlighted uh, how we can engage with personal evangelism. Last Sunday, we did the, the BLESS cards. Uh, we highlighted the mission trip that's coming up this summer and so many other ways that we're engaged, which is just awesome. And on this Sunday, often we'll bring in a guest preacher. And today we've got a, just a fantastic brother in Christ here to share the message. It's Mark Severson. I've known Mark for many years now. We've been colleagues as covenant pastors for over 20 years now. Mark served at Hillcrest Covenant Church as the lead pastor in Prairie Village in the Kansas City area uh, for a number of years. And uh, most recently, though, he's been called to serve as the director of missional congregations, and he's serving in the Serve uh, Globally uh, Department of the denomination, formerly World Mission. And so he really helps just local congregations like First Covenant continue to discern and, and lean into God's calling, into to following what, how, what God is calling us to do in terms of mission in the world. And so it's just an honor to have Mark with us this morning. His heart beats for making disciples who go deeper in Christ and his heart beats for the mission of the church, going further in mission. So, Mark, we're just pl- pleased to have you. Can you welcome him this morning as he comes to preach? Thank you. Thanks, sir. Well, I look forward to this for quite a while, to be here. And the trip out yesterday from Kansas City was spending some time with my family there. It was just really refreshing yesterday afternoon to walk, to drive through Kansas. And I grew up in uh, an area of Minnesota, Wisconsin, or the Minnesota, Wisconsin, that was more agriculturally focused. And so in some ways, being in a space like this and with a community like this, it just makes me feel a little bit more like I'm at home here. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be with you. I'm also grateful to be with you um, speaking as a pastor because um, uh, you are known uh, and, uh, and appreciate it. And uh, your faithfulness and service, your faithfulness to the Lord over years and as a congregation, vital and, uh, and, and uh, um, engaged in God's work today is just a real wonderful story uh, that uh, is being told. In places like Guatemala, uh, places like in the Middle East, in Africa, um, and in other places, just because of what God has created here, uh, when this church first began and how you are all carrying it forward. When I was a pastor in the Kansas City area, it was, uh, you were, uh, it was fun to be able to talk about what God was doing at First Covenant Salina as a model of this matters. Uh, walking with God faithfully over years as a congregation matters and let's do it well and let's be engaged in what the, con- what the covenant is doing and what missions is about around the world. It really matters. And so just as an example of a sister congregation in our conference, that was really um, an encouragement to me to be able to tell stories about what God was doing here. I spoke to Tammy Swanson-Dreheim, who is the uh, conference superintendent for our area, a couple weeks ago when I mentioned that I had been given this invitation to come out here. And Tammy said, oh, that's a wonderful congregation, just a wonderful, faithful group of people that are really following Jesus forward. So I appreciate that. And even in, in Serve Globally now, <clears throat> uh, to, to see a congregation that not only has been historically involved in missions, but just wants to continue to grow in that. 
I'm primarily here for some time this afternoon with your leaders and trying to figure out, you want to figure out how can we actually do this even more effectively. And I'm looking forward to that time, but I was invited, uh, Pastor Doug and Pastor Wes invited me to come and to speak here this morning too. So I've looked forward to that opportunity also. Um, what a, uh, what a, um, uh, a heritage God has given you. I didn't realize that Pastor Doug, he's been here 22 years. Uh, that is really remarkable. Um, and, and you know, um, that, that is significant because that means that you are led uh, by someone who knows you well, who knows you deeply. And uh, it is, there's something easy and comfortable for you to walk into this space this morning and know somebody that knows you well and knows how to take God's word out. And it's been fun to listen to some of his sermons over the past couple of weeks as I've just kind of thought about what does it mean to be in this space. But to hear somebody who's not only teaching God's word, but knows how to apply it in your congregation, that's really remarkable. It's going to be harder for you today uh, because I don't know you. I can't actually do the work of figuring out for you. Now, what does this mean for First Covenant Salina? How will you apply it as individuals? And how will you apply it as a church community? So as we start, I'm going to pray for you because you've decided to invite a guest in who doesn't know you and that means the work is harder for you. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to figure this thing out and we're going to just pray that God would speak through someone who doesn't know this context very well and be able to communicate things from God's word that are true And you can figure out what does this mean for me and for us as we leave this place. So would you join me in prayer as we begin? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this this, uh, word you placed in our laps and our smartphones this morning uh, that you've described as living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword, that it pierces in and it actually can do surgery in our hearts and in our lives. And God, we pray that that would happen this morning. Um, that uh, your spirit, who knows us deeply, uh, would speak and would transform us. God, I pray that not any one of us would walk out of here this morning without a clearer sense of who you are, a stronger sense of what it means to follow you, and a confidence that you will accompany us along the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the text this morning is from the last chapter, actually the last few verses, of Matthew chapter 28, and it's in this series um, that Pastor Doug started a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean to follow after Jesus' disciples? And rather than taking out a, a book on discipleship, what if we were actually discipled by Jesus? And so this morning we want to be discipled by, we want to learn from uh, the last, some of the last words that Jesus ever spoke. And those are significant. Typically, last, some of the last words are significant words. And these are significant as well. And so I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to, I'll read, and you can follow along, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. And if you've got Bibles, pull those out, or smartphones, whatever it is that you use. Um, let's, um, let's look at this together, and then I want to talk a little bit more about what it might mean for us this morning. Matthew chapter 28, beginning verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There it is. Those were uh, some of the last words Jesus ever spoke. Do any of you have in your Bibles just kind of like a little uh, title before that section? Anybody? What, what does it say? The Great Commission. Now, that's not actually the Bible. That's a title that's been placed there to help us with our Bible reading. So Jesus didn't call this. Okay, get ready, disciples. I'm about to share with you the Great Commission. That's not what we see here. It was actually named this later on. We're not sure when. Some have have suggested that it might have been Hudson Taylor. Now, we're going way back to 1850 for this. Hudson Taylor was a young man in England who had been confronted with the gospel of Jesus and it transformed his life as a young person. And it transformed not only his life, but the direction of his life. And he decided as a, as a medical doctor studying medicine that God was calling him according to this call that comes from Jesus here in, Revela- in Matthew 28, that God was actually calling him to go someplace else in the world. And so he left home and he went to China. He actually started a mission agency, a group of people that followed him, that were organized around him, called China Inland Mission. And we think that he was the one who actually began to describe this as the Great Commission. Because it it is that. And so this is carried over for generations, obviously. And and I mean, I grew up with it. Has anybody heard a sermon on this before? Okay, let's just go for lunch then. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is pretty familiar stuff, isn't it? But I, I just have to say to you that if the, the young generation that is leading and will lead this congregation in the church in the United States wouldn't necessarily, my guess is they wouldn't necessarily put the same title on this text. How do I know that or why would I imagine that this might be a possibility? Well, uh, there was actually a survey that was just done by Lifeway Research and the data from it came out in January. Christianity Today magazine, which is a popular widespread magazine, actually had an article under the research section after they did, the, after they did this analysis of Christian millennials. And they asked them what they thought of this, of evangelism and outreach and going into all of the world. 47% of all Christian millennials in this survey said, this is not what we ought to be doing. So it's kind of like, you know, you see this right here, deeper in Christ and further in mission. They would say, we're all about the deeper in Christ. Um, Is it possible for us to outsource the further in mission? Because it's not necessarily something we want to. In fact, the title in Christianity Today is half of millennial Christians say it's wrong to evangelize. Sub sub description, survey finds young believers want others to know about Jesus. They just don't want to speak up about it. And, you know, I know this firsthand. Just yesterday for lunch, my wife Beth and myself are with our three daughters and and our son-in-law. And they're asking me in the course of lunch conversation, so you're going to speak at First Covenant Salina. What are you speaking on? I said, well, this text. (laughs) My second daughter, she looked at me 
with her eyebrows raised. I mean, she's just really a dramatic person. But you know exactly what's going to, even when you see her face. And she said to me, Papa, they gave you a tough subject. She's 29 years old. She lives in this world of Christian millennials that wonder why in the world we would do something like that. Now, this is not throw the millennials under the bus Sunday. In fact, I believe that the millennials actually can serve us and the church by their analysis and by their concerns about the way we go about this. You see, it's not that they don't want to know, have people come to Jesus. They just don't like the way it's done. In fact, not only did Audrey talk about it being a tough subject, but my oldest daughter, she said, yes, she says, sometimes the way that um, it's, and, and they grew up in the church, I, I would just like to believe it's a good church. And yet here they are just saying, you know, it's somehow, it just sometimes smacks of being coercive. Uh, my older daughter, who's 30, she said, yes, yeah, sometimes the church, it almost seems like uh, they're given to inhospitality. You know, to just kind of push this on people. Where millennials are so concerned about, let's be good to people. Let's be hospitable people along the way. And there's just this sense that we're asked to embrace some sort of a multi-tier marketing approach. Now, if some of you might be in multi-tier marketing, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus either. But when we take that and actually that becomes the way we do this thing, mentioned in Matthew 28, I mean, some like it and some don't. Does it mean we all have to like it? Does it mean we all have to be in this thing? So here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, Rather than just kind of going back over this text again and reminding us of what it says, I think we know what it says. What I want to talk about this morning is why does he say it? Why does Jesus even today call us to this commission, this calling to be involved in taking the gospel to people that don't know it. Why? What does it mean to walk in his ways? And, and, and what, what was Jesus' intended result of it? So I'm going to just look at three pieces of it. The first one really matters, um, but it's not going to be compelling to the millennials that I know. Nevertheless, it is important to be able to say it. And then we'll get to a couple more, and hopefully it will be helpful for us as we follow Jesus and walk in his ways. I think one of the first reasons why we do this is because we worship God. Um, um, he said to do it, so we follow him and, and we obey him. But we're going to talk a little bit more about what that actually looks like. But before we get there, let's just recognize that the reason God calls us to communicate the gospel is because we worship him. In fact, in fact, in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, you see people gathered together to worship God from all nations and all peoples, worshiping the king of the universe, the, the Messiah who gave his life for all of us. And it's filled with worship. But the worship isn't described simply as a bunch of people gathered together singing, singing songs. 
it's described by the character of the people that are there. They not only worship, but they come because they're worshipers. And how does it describe what it means to be a worshiper? It describes these people. It says, hear from all nations, all tongues, and all peoples. These are those who have come out of great tribulation and hardship. In fact, they almost drag themselves there. And it says, gone are their tears. That's because there were tears. And it says, gone is their pain. That's because there was pain. Gone is their suffering. That's because there was suffering. Do you see, they were worshipers before they even got there. You know, someone has said imitation is the highest form of flattery. It's true, isn't it, really? Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Imitation is also the truest form of worship. And Jesus says, follow me into the world. Follow me into the broken places. Follow me into the places where there is just distortions of what it means for people to be human and to have dignity. Follow me into the places where grace isn't even understood. Follow me into the brokenness. Follow me into those places. And that's actually, imitation is the truest form of worship. To follow Jesus into those places and to act like Jesus there. So this is why we do it. Because it actually invites us to worship. We call this a worship service, and I get that. We do this at Hillcrest. We do this all over the place. And it's true. But guess where... Guess what else there is in our lives? There's worship weeks where we actually leave the parking lot and our mission is worship. We walk, we drive out of the parking lot and we enter our mission field. That's because the mission is for us to be worshipers of God, for us to give God glory with our life. Now, there's an example of it that I just read about. It's actually a couple, missionary couple, the first mission couple that we know of that was sent from the United States to Jamaica. Now, we know the story of Judson. That's popularized as the first person that went. But really, you can go decades before that and meet a person named George and his wife named Hannah Lyle. And George and Hannah were actually slaves. They grew up as slaves. They were freed in their adult life. They, they were compelled by the character of Jesus uh, calling on their life to actually go and help and represent the gospel in Jamaica, particularly among slaves that were there. You know the only way that they could get to Jamaica? The only way they could get to Jamaica is if they chose to re-indenture themselves as slaves. George and Hannah Lyle. Decades before, any people who grew up free in the United States went any place in the world, made themselves slaves again so that they could reach the people that God cared about in Jamaica. We will get to worship alongside of them in heaven. They're bringing their worship with them. And that's what God has for us. So that's one of the reasons. And again, my kids would say, you know, I'm not sure, Dad, if that's going to be convincing. It's true. But let's get to the second piece of it. And that is we do this because it's a call to bring good to all people. 
That's why we do it, because it's a call to bring good to all people. It was described, after all, as the good news. And what this means, as we look at the text and we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that when God brings good to the world, it's not necessarily bringing the values of a particular nation to another nation in the world. And how easy it is for it to become that for us. It's just kind of our makeup and the way we're made. But that's not where the goodness lies. That we bring the values of our nation to another nation. Or the values of a particular society to another society. Or the values of a particular government to another government. This is not about the advancement of capitalism or socialism or nationalism. This is about the advancement of good as represented by Jesus Christ. That we actually bring good to those places. So compelling is it when God's people go out and they fight for the good that we see in the book of Revelation at the end of all time, the nations of the world gathered together in one place saying of God, He is good and He is glorious. All the nations of the world look around us now And what do we see? We see divisions. We see rivalry. We see a sense of threat between peoples. We see hatred and we see animosity. Guess what? When the gospel comes to this world, all of the nations of the world will, for the first time in human history, agree on one thing. That the God of the universe, who gave his son to die on the cross for us, is worthy of worship. (laughs) That's going to happen. For once in our existence, we will see all the peoples of the world agree on this. Because that's what God has called it. So it forces us to think about, okay, so what is the good? What is this thing that Jesus does? And we see examples of the way God's people demonstrate and bring God's kingdom to bear in a place. I want to show you just one. Just a couple of years ago, this was Palm Sunday in Alexandria, Egypt. A a, a person decided that they wanted to kill and maim a bunch of Christians worshiping on Palm Sunday. And so he was trying to, with a vest loaded with explosives, get into the worship service. Actually, I have a friend who lives in Alexandria, and we went to the courtyard where this occurred. It's at the church where he worships. And that this person was uh, trying to get through the security. Uh, there are metal detectors, actually two sets of metal detectors in the church. Did you walk through the metal detectors this morning? Oh, that's right, we don't have them. <laughs> Brothers and sisters around the world, they actually, in some places, they actually walk through metal detectors to get into church. So they've got these metal detectors lined up like 20 yards from the entrance and then 20 yards from the courtyard. And this person with an explosive vest tried to get around the metal detector and there was a person from the church who was going to say, no, I'm sorry, you have to go through the metal detector. And at that point in time, he exploded his vest and people died and were maimed. And uh, this was heard about all over the world, but it was particularly riveting for the people of Egypt. And so on national TV, actually Egyptian CNN, the anchor of CNN Egypt 
is sitting at his anchor desk. And on the other side of the screen is one of the reporters in the home of the wife of the man who died because he had stopped the person and her kids. And they're being interviewed. It's in Arabic, so I apologize for that. Any Arabic speakers here? Okay, you'll have to read the English subtext then, all right? Let's watch this interview. One of our Christian sisters loses her husband. She loses the father of her kids. And somehow, some way, God gives her the capacity. And many Egyptian Christians, by the way, this, this happens continually. The capacity to be able to be marked by a forgiveness that the anchor person of Egyptian CNN cannot comprehend. Twelve and a half seconds of media silence. Well, he figures out what to say next. And we hear from someone who doesn't yet know Jesus preach a sermon on national TV that begins with the Egyptian Christians are made of steel. 
Now, we know he's wrong. This book tells us what's true. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from him and not from us. So he's, he's wrong on that one, but he sees something that is so, so good that he can't but admire what it is that the God of their faith, our faith, is able to do. Do you see what God wants us to do? He wants us to be so saturated by the character of what it means to follow Jesus and to be marked by Jesus that what spills out of us is good. And to learn from our brothers and sisters around the world who know it's so much better and model it so much more clearly. You see what God is calling us to? A commission where we actually get to represent what is good so that someday the whole world will say, we've seen it. We know what that kingdom is like. And there is one who deserves our glory. Now, Jesus knew that this shouldn't be outsourced. Jesus knew that you and I would long to be marked by that. There are words and they're important words. And they must be said. But we live in a world in which words oftentimes seem so empty. Thank God he gives us the capacity to not only speak the character of the gospel, but to actually demonstrate it. We pray that our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And why do we pray that? Why does he tell us to pray that? Because we not only ask for it, but then we participate in it. You see, this is what God calls us to. And this is not a new story. Isaiah 58. God, God says, you will go into broken places and you will restore them. And you know what your name will be called? Your name will be called repairers of walls. Put that on your name tag some Sunday. Put it on your kid's name tag. Restorer of streets with dwellings. Put that on their name tags. That's who we get to be. This is the intended result of the, of the Great Commission. And there's one more piece to it. And that is it, that we do this to bring maturity to our own lives. God was so brilliant that he actually gave us this mission, not only because we could bring good to the world, but we could grow up ourselves. I grew up in northern Wisconsin, and I, I'm, I'm naturally ethnocentric. I'm naturally nationalistic. I'm naturally a Packer fan. You know, there are these kind of things that we just kind of embody because of the way we grew up. That doesn't mean that that's consistent with my faith. My politics or my nationalism or my, my heritage, it doesn't mean it's necessarily consistent with my faith. And I've discovered as I've grown up that there are some parts of faith that have less to do with being a Packer fan and more to do with something else. So how do I grow up in my faith and how do I see the reality of what it is? You know what Jesus does with his disciples? He doesn't take out a book and say, now fill in the blank. I'm not against that. 
he takes his disciples into places where they're incredibly uncomfortable and where the displacement disabuses them of the parts of what they thought was faith that's really nationalism or whatever else it might be. When I go to places in the world, I realize, oh, the gospel is more about that than it is about this, what I grew up with. God is always doing this. He takes his disciples to visit a Syrian woman because it would actually strengthen the character of what their faith was. He takes their disciples to a Samaritan woman. He takes their disciples into a conversation with a centurion soldier. You see, the reason God calls us to these places where we feel displaced is we understand the genuine nature of what our faith is. He disciples us. He did this with Jonah. Story of Jonah is four chapters long. Three chapters into it, the story's over. If it's simply a story about Nineveh being reached. Because by the end of chapter three, they're reached. Sing a praise song, take an offering and go home. But there's chapter four. And in chapter four, God says, okay, Jonah, now I'm going to talk to you about you. And I could not have done this if you were still back in Judah. I had to take you to this place because I want to talk to you about the broken notions of grace that still reside in who you are and the prejudice and the misunderstanding about what's on my heart. God takes us into those places in the world because we need it. I still need to go to those places in the world. I'm guessing it would benefit you as well. There's a trip to Guatemala in, Jan- in July. There are other places right here near Salina where there are people whose worldviews are so different than ours. God wants you to go to those places so that the character of the gospel would be formed more clearly. This is why it's the Great Commission. is because God's mission in our life is the invitation to worship Him. God's mission in our life is the invitation to participate in good. God's mission in our life is to grow up into Christ-likeness by going to places where we understand the dimensions and the beauty of it. I trust that in the midst of everything we talked about this morning, there's something that God's Holy Spirit has said to you that you'll figure out a way to apply when you drive out of the driveway this morning. Okay? Can I pray for you? God, thank you for this church. Thank you for its history, for its present, and for its future. God, I pray that you would now do your work, that you would speak to this congregation, these people as individuals and as a community, and with clarity help them to see what next steps to take. In Jesus' name.